And I want to just talk this morning for a little bit. I, uh, I'll be honest with you, um, I don't have a sermon today. Um, I pray. <laughs> so we could go home. No, honestly, seriously, I, I prayed every week I pray for God to give me a word. And I don't have one. And normally they come in various ways. Normally they come from a person that says something to me that the Lord just kind of rings true with me and I just keep chewing on it. Or I read something in a devotion or I read something in the Word that comes up and it just speaks to me. And nothing came this week besides this. The Lord just wants me to talk to you today from my heart. You know, we're going through some stuff, stuff. And I have some decisions to make. We have some decisions to make in the church. And I just want to share with you my heart um, as I seriously consider with my wife our pastoring here and where we're going and what we should be doing. So I just want to open up and I want to be transparent with you. I want to share with you what the Lord has placed on my heart, some definitions that he's given me as to what I think a pastor should be some definitions for you, what I think a congregation should be. And I just want to open up and talk. Is that okay? You know, I will say that we are one more time getting out, getting out of the box of my qualifications. I was not qualified to come up and start Pine River five years ago. Um, I'm an electrical engineer. I'm not a production man. I wasn't qualified to do that. That doesn't mean the Lord didn't use that. Doesn't doesn't mean the Lord couldn't use me in that. I don't believe it was a mistake. It's painful. It's hard. We're going through a lot of stuff because of it. It's changing my life. It's changing my family's life. It's changing my wife's life. It's changing my brother's life. All my siblings. My mom. I'm not here to tell you of my woes, but I want to be honest with you and I need to be open with you because that's who I am. And what you're going to hear from me if I stay on as pastor here on a full-time basis, you're going to hear about me and my life. And I have to preach and teach and talk through my experiences. Not through a book, not through a sermon that I get off the internet, but from who I am that Lord has made me over the past four or five years. Actually, the last 52 years. So that's what I'm going to try to do. When Chris and I got married 30 years ago, we had no intentions of being pastors, did we, Chris? No. That's a major life change for us. A major direction change. Two years ago, I had no idea of being a pastor. I didn't come up here five years ago to be a pastor. I came up here to be a successful businessman. I came up here because I felt the Lord had given us an opportunity to get out of Detroit, to get out of the automotive industry, Move my family up here, even though my wife didn't want to. I'll be very honest with that. She'll be very honest with that. I stepped out of my box of qualification here, and I maybe stepped out of my boundaries. And for that, I've apologized to her and to God. But the Lord's here. He has me here. And I'm not apologizing for that. So I want to talk this morning a few minutes about my role or a role as a pastor and my wife's and Jenna's 
because we all have specific things we do or expectations. I want to talk a little bit about that. Now, you need, need to know the board has extended an offer for us to move into full-time ministry, and we are seriously considering that offer as we are praying that God wants, that we do what God wants us to do. I'll tell you right now, I'll be very honest, if the Lord doesn't want me to be a pastor, that's the last thing I want to be. I do not want to step into a pastor's role if God's not calling me to be a pastor. That is instant defeat and instant failure. I've had enough failure in my life. I don't need any more. And I'm not going to walk into something if the Lord's not calling us into it, calling us into it, even though I'm the pastor, she's my wife. We're going to talk about that later. I want to start off by reading 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 in the New International Version, the NIV translation. It says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. But because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the Lord of, the, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast. This passage, the first four verses talk about the pastor. Verses 5 through 7 talk about the congregation. And verses 8 and 9 identify our common enemy. And then verse 10 tells us to live for the target. This passage of Scripture kind of wraps it all up as we grow and move together as pastor, congregation, and brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to read this again in the message translation because it brings it a little bit more to our kind of thinking. And that's, let's read this again in the message translation. It says, this is Peter speaking, I have a special concern for you church leaders. I know what it's like to be a leader in on Christ's sufferings as well as the coming glory. Here's my concern, that you care for God's flock with all the diligence of a shepherd, not because you have to, but because you want to please God, not calculating what you can get out of it, but acting spontaneously, not bossily telling others what to do, but tenderly showing them the way. When God, who is the best shepherd of all, comes out in the open with his rule, he'll see that, you, that you've done it right and commends you lavishly. And you who are younger must follow your leaders, 
But all of you, leaders and followers alike, are to be down to earth with each other, for God has had it with the proud, but takes delight in just plain people. So be content with who you are, and don't put on airs. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you at the right time. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. Keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. Let's talk about a godly church. What is a godly church? A godly church is a church that's operating as God has it set up to be a cooperative effort between leadership and the congregation. The church is not about the pastor. The church is not about an individual. The church is the body of Christ. That is not in any one denomination. It is the body of Christ throughout the world. We have many thoughts, many different things, many different ideas, but if they line up with God's word, then we're brothers and sisters. This is not about a denomination. This is not about a person. <laughs> I got a kick out of Sunday school this morning. Scott has his horse. We, we talked about a lot about Scott's horse. It's a big horse. It's a new horse. And Scott had to, hope I get this right. Scott had to teach it who is the boss. Who is the biggest horse in the pasture. <clears throat> Not the horses, you know what, but the biggest horse. <laughs> but what he said caught me because he said that he had to be, he said he's not going to let any big horse uh, control who's him. No, let, he's not going to let the biggest horse control the pasture. And I thought he said pastor. <laughs> but you know what? That's true. There's a lot of big horses in this congregation. Right? And the horse is never to control the pastor. The horse is to be part of the pasture with all the other horses. And then we get to get then we'll get along fine. Right? So there's got to be a cooperation between the pastor and the congregation so that the biggest horse in the pasture doesn't control the pastor. That makes sense. All right, so let's just get that said. Thanks, Scott, for giving me that great example. <laughs> what is my definition of a pastor? I think a pastor is a shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? A shepherd, and these are just some ramblings that I threw down as my definition of a pastor, not my definition of me, but my definition of a pastor. What do I want in a pastor? Because it wasn't long ago and I was sitting in your chairs. Two years ago, I was sitting as a, as a layman. So this is all new to me. So I'm learning as we go through this. So I ask your patience and I ask your indulgence with me and your grace that as I make mistakes that you understand that I'm trying my best. But what I think of a pastor, pastor and a shepherd, 
I think of a man that cares for me beyond just being do, just beyond than just doing his job. I don't call a pastor a job. It's a ministry. I've never had a ministry. Well, I've had a ministry, but I've had jobs before. This is new. This is new for me. I, I think of a man who hears consistently from the Holy Spirit without being weird about it. I don't like weird. Do you? I don't like weird. But yet I know that men hear from the voice of God on a daily basis. I want to be one of those men that hear the voice of God that isn't, that isn't weird. Can you, can, let me ask you, can we do that? Can we hear from God and not be weird? Okay, good. I want a man that walks like I walk and breathes like I do, but yet he's sensitive to leading and the direction of God through, through being sensitive and yielding to the Holy Spirit. That's what I want in a pastor. Okay. I want there, one that is there for me all the time in every situation of my life. I don't want a pastor that comes and goes, that's there when he wants to be and there when he's not. I have a really good friend who's my pastor in Brighton, Ken Shelton, and he, chewed, he, he, taught, me how to, he taught me what a pastor is like to be there as a friend. Pastors can be friends. There's a hard, fine line between a friend and a pastor and becoming so much of a friend you can't pastor. It's kind of like being a friend and a parent. You can be your children's friend, but you still have to know you're the parent. And you still have to give a hard word to your kids sometimes when you're the parent. And if you, all you are is want to be their friend, then a friend is raising a friend. And that's not going to be very healthy for your child who needs to have a parent. So as a pastor and a friend, I can be your friend, a pastor can be your friend, but don't let the friendship get in the way of the role of the pastor because they have to have a separation. It doesn't mean that the pastor is always right. No different than the, the parent's not always right. Parents make mistakes, and here's what happens. A good parent will go to the child and say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Will you forgive me, child? And a good pastor will say, you know what, I made a mistake. Will you forgive me? And if there's that cooperation, if there's that trusting relationship, it'll work. It'll work. I want, a, I want a man that accepts me as I am, yet cares enough about me to be honest, to share with me his concerns about what he sees in my life to make me better. I want somebody that's going to tell me if I'm wrong. I don't want, to have a, I don't want a pastor that's going to just tickle my ears to make me feel good so that I give more money. It's not about money. I'm not going to talk about that anymore. It's not about that. It's about having somebody that loves you enough through a godly love that we talked about in Sunday school today about the fruit of the Spirit. Love was first. If it's not given with love, then it's nothing but a clanging cymbal or a gong. We don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that in the pastor. I want to have somebody that's going to love me enough to tell me honestly. And then I want to hopefully receive it from that pastor. I want a pastor that I'm proud to call my pastor. I want to have somebody that I see in the street and I say, that's my pastor and I'm proud of him. I don't want to be embarrassed of him. I want to say, that's my friend, that's my pastor. When I'm walking downtown with him, I want people to say, that's my pastor. When I see him at the basketball games and the volleyball games, I want him to say, that's my pastor. I want to be proud of that pastor. That's what I want. Okay, now let's talk about a congregation. What is the definition of good congregation? A good congregation to me 
is a congregation that is committed to following Jesus and seeking the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And they do it consistently. A congregation that is teachable. A congregation that is movable. A congregation that is giving of all things. Time, extra, effort, everything. I want a congregation that actively participates in the community. I want a congregation that proves that God is working through their life by watching them work in the community. That's community-minded and community-focused. I want a congregation that is working with other congregations in a positive way that is bringing the fullness of Christ to our community, not just to build a church or to build a certain denominational setting. I want a cooperative effort. That's what I believe a congregation should be. I want a congregation, my definition of a congregation should be one that the pastor is proud of saying, that's my congregation. I want to have a congregation that when I see or the pastor sees a congregation, that congregational member downtown, he says, he goes to the church I go to and I'm proud of him. That's what I want. That's what I think a good congregation should be, is somebody that's living it out seven days a week, not just, not, not just on Sunday morning. That you shouldn't be embarrassed at any given time where you're seeing or doing what. Even if you're in a pasture getting kicked by a horse. And I understand that we all are imperfect in those ways. And we're going to make mistakes. And that's okay. We're going to make mistakes. And we're going to be people. But I think we need to be godly people. One that you're proud to be a part of a congregation. You don't want to be walking down as a layman congregation member to see another congregation member and be embarrassed of him because of his actions, do you? No, we want to build each other up. And then finally, a congregation should be growing spiritually. Spiritually growing. A spiritually growing congregation is a growing congregation because they're growing in the love of Christ. And people will naturally be attracted to you because they will want what you have if it's authentic. If you're walking in love, people are going to say, what is that? What do you have in your life and how do I get it? That's what a spiritually growing congregation is. And then the congregation will grow. As we grow spiritually together, we will grow numerically together. And it's not about numbers. It's about God's grace and about bringing more people into heaven with us. It's not about going to other churches and bringing other churches in. It's about going to the lost. It's about going to people that don't go to any church and say, hey, come with me. And that let them, and just be with them, just fellowship with them, just be yourself around them, and let them see the love of Christ in you so that they want what you have, and then they will easily come with you to the church that you go to. But if you don't live a consistent life in front of them, they're not going to want to go to your church. If the pastor isn't living a consistent life in front of them, they're not going to want to sit under him. We have a lot of responsibility, don't we? We both do to live our life right and to have love be the overarching symbol of who we are. All right. Now, let's talk about the preacher again. Give you guys off the hook a little bit. I want a preacher or a teacher that is committed to preach and teach what the Holy Spirit inspires. 
I don't want anybody afraid to tell the truth and to preach the truth. And so, I want you to know that um, as the Lord gives decisions and direction and inspiration to me to preach and to teach, because I really see myself more of a teacher than a preacher, let me give you this commitment. It will never be done in anger. And I hope it, and, and if you ever sense it to be angry, then talk to me. I, I don't want to be an angry preacher. I don't want to have anger. That is not godly. What's godly is love. But love can be harsh sometimes. Understand that. Love is not always a pat on the back, good job, continue doing it. Love may be say, guys, we've got to talk. We've got to talk. Tough love. Tough love can be, we've got to talk. But it's not going to be based upon what I think. It'll be based upon, to the best of my ability, what the Bible says. So I will try not to ever get into my opinion versus what the Bible says, but I, may, I might make a mistake sometimes. So just give me that ability to do that and then talk to me and then we'll get the right truth out of it, okay? The truth will set us free. The truth will set us free as we work together. So I sometimes, I'll just tell, be honest with you, I have felt, I think, a common thing that some pastors feel, if not all pastors feel, it's kind of like buyer's remorse. What is buyer, anybody know what buyer's remorse is? What is buyer's remorse? Somebody tell me a definition of buyer's remorse. Scott? <laughs> yeah, why did I buy that? I shouldn't have bought that. I, I couldn't afford that, or I shouldn't have bought that, or that horse is bigger than I am, or whatever, whatever that issue is, buyer's remorse is a very common thing after you make a significant purchase. Well, there's a thing called, well, I've never heard it called this way, but I'm going to call it this way right now, preacher's remorse. And it's not uncommon by the time I got to the parking lot that I'm already kicking myself because I said the wrong things, because I preached too hard. Because I asked people to do something, and I felt I offended people. And I've heard other pastors say the same thing, that they preach on Sunday and they quit on Monday. And they do that week after week after week, because Monday comes and the enemy is right there saying, boy, did you blow it. Boy, did you step on people's toes. Boy, did you, who, who are you to talk to people like that? That is a common fight that preachers have, and I'm starting to have it, and it's not fun. But let me ask you, though, um, what am I asking you? I'm not asking you to pat me in the back. I'm not asking you to tell me it was a good message. Really, what I'm asking you is if God is in the message, then make a change in your life that shows me that it was a good message. All right? I'm not looking for compliments. But I'm looking for people that change and that we grow, and that we spiritually grow together as Christian people. So I, if I give a hard word, it's not a rebuke on any person. I don't, if, I, if I happen to look at you, that doesn't mean I'm preaching to you. It just means my eyes got to look somewhere. Okay? <laughs> they just got to go, they got to fall on somebody every once in a while. So don't feel like I'm preaching at you if all of a sudden, but you know what? If the Holy Spirit's preaching to you, it doesn't make any difference where I'm looking. He'll find you. He'll find you. And that's what we want. I want the Holy Spirit to find you. 
Not me. But if our eyes happen to lock, <laughs> that's a double confirmation, okay? <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a minute. Because this is a Pentecostal church. And how does the Pentecostal church handle the Holy Spirit? You know, there's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of uh, misconception, misunderstanding of, the, of what the Holy Spirit is. I do believe that the Holy Spirit is a second experience. Yes, the Holy Spirit comes in at salvation. Yes, the Holy Spirit has to draw a man to salvation. Yes, you cannot. Yes, you cannot. You cannot be saved. You cannot be drawn to the Lord unless the Holy Spirit draws you. Okay, I, I believe that. And I believe that he enters your life at, at a point of salvation. Right? But I believe there's more to it than that. You're a saved man. You're a Christian. You're going to heaven. That's all it takes is that right there. Jesus is in your heart. It's all about Jesus being in your heart that makes you qualified to go to heaven. But there's a second experience beyond that called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second experience other than salvation, where now it is a baptism, it is a entering in, it is a indwelling and an filling of the Holy Spirit in your life over and above the salvation experience. And I believe the Bible is clear that is initial, that, that the, the, the um, uh, indicator, the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. I believe that, and I'm not ashamed of that, and I'm not going to back down on that. It is the initial indication that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit when you speak in tongues. All right, now, this is where it gets out of whack. Because people have this feeling that it's a club. And we are going to be, get, to get in the club, you've got to speak in tongues. And then that's all there is to it. I spoke in tongues when I was 12 years old. I'm in the club. I'm in the club. And this is where the devil is so prevalent. Because it's not the speaking in tongues that gives the power. The power comes from the Holy Spirit, and it's only the initial evidence that you have it in speaking in tongues. But we miss it when we dwell on tongues so much that we miss the power. If you're going to have a changed life, then it's not the tongues that gives you the power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, and it's evidenced by the initial utterance of tongues. So I would rather have a person hungry for the Holy Spirit that hasn't been filled yet that has not been filled with the Holy Spirit, but he's hungrily seeking, I would rather have that in my congregation than a person that says, I was filled with the Holy Spirit at 12 years old, I spoke in tongues 12 years old, and I don't need any more. Because that person has no power. That person is no more than what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2, and then skipping to verse 5. It says, people will be lovers of themselves, etc. And it goes into a bunch of stuff. They are having a form of godliness, but denying its power. You know what he says? Have nothing to do with such people. Have nothing to do with them. It's a very stern warning. So just because you speak in tongues, if you don't walk in the power, you are a, you are a man that has the form of godliness, but, have, but you're denying the power. There's nothing in that. That's death. And I'm not to have anything to do with you. It's not my idea. I just read it. So, when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in our church, 
What I really want is the power of the Holy Spirit, like was manifested today. That is powerful. That is the Holy Spirit moving in our congregation, moving in our midst. And when we can walk in that on a daily basis, Monday through Friday, and when you can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, people, that is going to change our community. That is it. That's the secret. What's going to change people is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going to change us. And that's why it's hard to be in a spirit-filled church if I'm not living it on a consistent basis, that I'm not really um, doing the Holy Spirit a favor by saying that I go to that Pentecostal church. If that's the case, you might as well just go to a non-Pentecostal church and then you don't have to worry about it. But if we're going to be a Pentecostal church, let's be a Pentecostal church. And let's operate in it. And let's not get hung up on the tongue stuff, but that's initial evidence. And here's the thing I like about tongues. I love to speak in tongues in my own personal prayer language. That is the time when I know that I cannot handle problems on my own. I don't know where to turn. I have no idea how to pray. And I just feel the Holy Spirit coming through me. And I don't know what I'm saying, but I know one thing. That the Holy Spirit is praying the perfect will of God through that utteration. It's not me. It's not my ideas. It's not me trying to figure it out. It is me depending on the Holy Spirit to come inside my inner, mean, my inner man and then speak up the will of God and pray the will of God when I don't know how to pray. And I can do that anywhere, anytime. I can remember when I was working at Mac and Mac, walking down the halls of Ford Motor Company, speaking in tongues, praying, going down from one meeting to the other, not knowing how to handle that particular meeting, and I'm going down. Now, I'm not speaking in, out loud, okay? <laughs> but in my mind, I am, praying, I am praying with my eyes open. I'm not in this weird, you know, Holy Spirit way, shaking and dry rations, all that stuff. But I'm walking down the hallway amongst other peers, and I'm, in my mind, I'm saying, Lord, I don't know how to go into this meeting, and I'm just praying in tongues in my mind. That is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's how we use it. And that's good. And that's good. All right, I want to talk a little bit about my wife. Because this is very important. And I'm, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I'll try my best. And hopefully I don't get in trouble for it. But I will tell you, right, my, my wife is not a traditional woman. My wife is very special. I love her a lot. I don't always act like it, but I do. Um, this is hard for her. This is a tough experience for her. She's not going to be the typical pastor's wife. She doesn't put her hair up in a bun, and she doesn't play the piano. <laughs> so I ask of you to let her be who she is. Do not put her in a box. Because she will kick you. <laughs> just like that horse, Scott. No, I'm not. I'm just joking. But my wife is very good at what she does. She's a godly woman. She loves the Lord. This is a big change in her life. This is a move she didn't want to make. This is how the Lord's working on her like he's working on me. My wife is not the pastor of this church. She never will be. She never will be. Don't let her, don't, don't think she is. Just love her, support her, let her be herself, and she'll love you and she'll support you 
and she'll accept you for who you are. She's no different than you are. Same thing with Jenna. I'm really fortunate that my kids are grown, that I don't have to put my kids to a PK's family. I don't have to put them through that, that, that fishbowl of life, that they're already grown and they're already well, well on their way. You know, Jenna's our last one here that's, you know, we're going to have a hard time letting her leave. In fact, we're already talking about going to college with her. Because <laughs> I don't know that we can actually let her out of the house. But, um, but just, I don't need to say any more than that, but just let them be who they are and they will bless you. And um, I'm sure that my wife will have other times to speak as she, when my wife has something to speak, she'll say it. I, I, I will tell you that right now. And the Lord speaks to her in dreams. The Lord gives her lots of ideas, lots of visions, lots of ideas, and she's, she'll be bold to say it. And uh, so don't worry about that. This last topic I'm not sure I want to talk about, but let me say it, I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to talk about money. You need to understand, if you would, please, that this is hard for me because I have a pride issue here. I have never been on the receiving end of a church. I've always been on the giving end. Um, when we were in Detroit, we made, you know, we weren't rich, but we made pretty good money. I was the treasurer of the church. Um, I was the elder with my pastor. And um, I was one of the bigger givers in the church because I had the ability to do it. And I thought that was my gift, to be a giver. My dad was a giver. I thought that was my gift. So I gave. Now I'm in a different situation. I don't have the money to give. So it's hard for me to put myself in the position of being a receiver. And I know I have to because it's biblical and because it's godly and it's because it's a pride thing. And I need to humble my pride and understand now that I have to receive. If I'm going to be your pastor, I have to receive from you because, what, because that, that allows you to get a blessing. I used to get a lot of blessings when I used to give over and above my tithe to my pastor and to other speakers that would come in and other things. And we would get lots of blessings, didn't we, Chris? We did. We had a a lot of blessings that weren't always financial. But I had to have the man of God receive my blessing. I had to have him receive my gift. If he would have said, no, I'm not going to receive it because I'm too proudful to receive it, then I would have lost out of the blessing. So now I have to put myself in that position. I have to be willing to receive from you so that God will bless you. It sounds, I can see, I can see the enemy already spinning the wheels. I can see it already spinning because he says, well, that's a real conniving way to get money. I can see it because that's how the devil works. He wants to spin a godly principle and make it backwards. And so he'll say, well, that was a pretty conniving thing to say. But let me, let me, let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 7 through 14, this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. He says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely this is for us. Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? 
But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So this is hard for me because now if I'm going to preach the gospel, that's where I need to get my living. Enough said. All right, in summary of all this, I want to say one other thing. And this is something else that I've struggled with, but I'm thinking that I kind of have this part kind of under control. And that is that I am only going to be me. And I cannot duplicate another man's ministry. Um, I really thought, I've, you know, you learn from people, and that's okay. You're going to learn from people all the time. But I cannot be Ken Shelton. I cannot be Michael Arp. I cannot be Jimmy Swaggart. I cannot be um, Bob Hope, for that matter. I can't be anybody than Mike Way. And I have to understand that so that I don't try to think that I have to conjure up somebody else's persona if I'm going to be successful. I'm only going to be successful as if I recognize who I am and I'm comfortable for who I am. So that's who I am. And that's the best I'm going to do is be who I am. And I hope that's okay. Okay.